Welcome to Transition of Style, the podcast that explores the ways in which personal style and gender identity meet with host Phil, a.k.a. Curran. Transition of Style is produced by Fashion Consort with music provided by Sarah FM and is sponsored by QueerCut, a radically inclusive shopping platform and queer community. Welcome back to Transition of Style. I'm your host, Phil. What's going on? Hello, everyone. Today, I have with me Joshua Williams, Professor of Fashion Management, Retail, and Marketing at Parsons School of Design in New York City. Before we dive into this week's episode, we want to thank you, the listener, for supporting Transition of Style. Without your support, we wouldn't exist. So please tell your family and friends to listen in and subscribe on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or Stitcher. And while there, please leave us a review as it helps us to reach more listeners. If you want to donate, please visit our show page at transitionofstyle.com and look for the donate button. If you're a queer business looking to sponsor or advertise on this podcast, please do so on our contact page as we'd love to include you. And now, this week's episode. Hello, hello, Joshua. Hello. Hey there. It's so good to be here. Oh, it's so great to have you here. It is lovely to finally be speaking with you. I know we've been talking about doing this for some time, and I want to start off right away with asking you what your pronouns are. I go by he, him. That's wonderful. the best I can remember. Okay, well, listen, let's try to keep it, keep our memories. Positively changing. Exactly. Well, it's okay. And again, it can change every day, if, and that's fine. So tell me a little bit about what you do now. Well, I'm a fashion professor, as you mentioned at the top of the show. I work at the graduate program at Parsons School of Design, working with students primarily in in the connection between fashion, creativity, and business. And we're helping students to think about new business models in an innovative way. I've been in the fashion industry for at least 15 years now. I really enjoy it. Before that, I was I was in the theater. So I have two sort of careers that have sort of overlapped over time. So that's that's what I'm up to now. Oh, I love it. Okay. Well, you tell me a little bit about your background, your history. Tell me about your childhood and what it was like growing up. You know, I had a good childhood. I, I grew up in Utah. I was the oldest of five boys. Wow. Mormon. Lots to unpack <laughs> yeah, there. Definitely lots. And, <laughs> you know, I had, a, I had a good childhood. My parents were very arts-driven, very much into music. In fact, my mom was a dancer, and so I learned how to dance at a very young age. Oh, no, I and had no idea. All of, yeah, all of my brothers played an instrument and danced. Managed to travel around the world that yeah. way and, and kind of see a lot of different cultures very early on. Yeah. We moved to California when I was around 12, and that was kind of eye-opening from, from Utah. Yeah. But, you know, I was I was very firmly Mormon. Yeah. I, I think as the oldest in my family, I, I like to be in control and just kind of feel like everything around me was as planned. Yeah. But it also really opened my eyes to sort of different, you know, different people, different cultures. Mm-hmm. When I was... 19, I went on a Mormon mission. Mm -hmm. I went to Poland Mm -hmm. and that kind of changed my life. I think I went with this idea that I had life all figured out and I was going to go help the uh, Polish people figure out their own lives. (laughs) There's a little bit of a a power dynamic at play here with with Mormonism. There's this idea that Mormons have the full truth and and Mm. we can go deliver this, you know, perfect message to those who don't. I I almost feel like there's nothing that puts you in your place better than traveling. (laughs) Well, yeah. And, you know, you go to Poland and it was just post-communism. 
the wall had just fallen not too many years before. And so it was a, a country in transition. And I fully went thinking that I was going to be part of this, you know, opening up Poland to truth. Yeah. I think I came home from that two years realizing that I learned way more than I ever taught. Wow. And I have to be honest, I was not a very good missionary. I did not like it. <laughs> And I think I realized because at that early age that everyone sort of has their own truth and who was I to kind of go in there and tell them that I knew better than them. Yeah. Certainly people that had lived through so much. Exactly. And I found the people of Poland to be extraordinarily intellectual and very much able to debate ideas. Mm -hmm. And So that, made you think? It really made you think? Yeah, it really made me think. I came home and I was still sort of in the church and still a believer. And I, I went to BYU. I went to the theater program. <clears throat> I had grown up um, in a very musical um, family. And so I wanted to study theater and, and music. And of course, at BYU, this BYU is a very Mormon conservative school, but the theater is uh, program is sort of where all the non- <laughs> usual people go. Mm -hmm. Yep. Get it. <laughs> so uh, again, I stayed pretty, you know, close on track to the Mormon <laughs> dogma, but I was also kind of starting to push against it and recognizing that Mormonism was, it was, it was kind of forcing me into a box, so to speak, as I was trying to be creative. I did get married at a young age. I was like 23. Wow. That's young. <laughs> she was 19. Whoa. That's really young. <laughs> and of course we like had a baby yeah. within two years. So, you know, that was perfect Mormon. And, but I knew that I needed to get out of Utah and I wanted to come to New York City. And that was after I graduated, it was my chance to come. And so I came to New York City. I worked in the theater until I was about 30. Mm -hmm. I had an opportunity and wrote a few musicals and plays. And I've had some of those off Broadway wow, and, and, and theaters around the world. Oh, that's great. But around 30, like things weren't kind of working out in the sense that I, I still was not able to always pay my rent. <laughs> you know, so I had to grow up. Yeah. So I made a big decision and I, I decided to transfer sort of all my creativity and skills into marketing. And that led to a job in fashion. And mm. that's sort of what brought me into the fashion world. And I just remember sitting with one of my dear friends who is the conductor of Lion King tour. And he's like, wow, you're leaving the theater. Where are you going? And I said, fashion. And he said, how is it possible that you went from the gayest profession in the world to the most gay profession in the world? And I was like, but I'm straight. <laughs> You're right. Yes, I'm straight. Yeah. Well, okay. So listen, let's move that along a little bit because I want to come back to um, some of that. But so right now, how do you identify? You know, it's a constantly evolving, but one of the things that I've realized, and I'm in my mid forties now, is that as a child, even though I lived in a very sort of strict religious uh, family, because we were all dancers and, and musicians, we had a lot of culture. And because we traveled, we saw a lot of different things. So I always knew that I didn't fit into the box, the male box, so to speak. But I never quite understood why or how. I think at this point, I'm very comfortable with the idea of being non-binary, not because it's like my identity and I say I'm non-binary, but because I don't care about gender. Yeah. So for me, gender is just, it's an non-issue. And if anything, it sort of helps for me to feel like I don't need to subscribe to what female or male is. How did that play with your being Mormon? How did those two things interact? 
Well, first of all, I'm a master compartmentalizer. Oh, that's... Um, Mormon... Answers the question. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it was interesting because I was in the theater and music. I could always be the different person. So I was able to kind of not hide, but I could kind of live in the space where I was different and, oh, he's a theater person or, oh, he's a fashion person. So I always dressed a little differently and I always acted differently, but it was never seen as related to my gender or my sexuality. It was more related to my likes, right? right? My talent. So I definitely got poked a lot as a kid about being, you know, gay or, but I was... Sadly to say, I was fairly virulently anti-gay because of the Mormon upbringing. It was more about the sin and just, you know, that that sort of concept that you love the person but not the sin. And and so that was what I grew up in. So I never really even had a, a space to think about my gender or my sexuality. And I didn't really need to because I was able to sort of safely explore that in the theater and sort of in my clothes. I was always very interested in clothing at a young age as well. Mm hmm. I could present myself a certain way and people just assumed it was because of that. It wasn't until my 30s that the compartmentalization piece wasn't working so well. Didn't work anymore? Well, it was just like (laughs) I started to realize that I was like creating my own play where I was like (laughs) acting in one world. and (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I would even catch myself sometimes answering questions and I'd be like, that's not even true. What am I even saying? But I had it so rehearsed and so well down that I could do that. You get really good at this also as a Mormon, because like if you're at a bar hanging out with friends and you don't drink, like you have like these weird ways that you do things like, oh, I'm not going to drink tonight, Uh, even though you're not going to you don't drink at all. So this is interesting. So it's basically you have prefabricated sort of answers, like canned answers to hand to people just to get yourself out of a situation. Yeah. Yeah. So like the gay thing was, is like, oh, well, Katie, my wife would get this a lot like, oh, your husband's gay. You you know that, right? (laughs) She's like, no, he's not. (laughs) And then I would always be like, of course I'm not. I'm just in the theater. (laughs) Right? I have so many gay friends. And then I would think about it and I'd be like, all of my friends are gay. Um, And, you know, because I'm married and I had at this point two kids, like I pass fine in a straight world and I'm just the anomaly you know, I'm the straight guy who's married and has two kids, but also is in the theater or in fashion. And so, so that worked and then it didn't work because I started to realize like I wasn't being able to, to always be my true self because I was always following a script as opposed to, to saying things out loud. I think I hit this point in my thirties also where I realized I had been married at that point for, you know, 12, 13 years. Um, at 30. Yeah. That's incredible. Well, I think 35. And I realized my relationship with my wife is very strong. And, but at the same time, I realized like I made a lot of decisions in my early Mm twenties that were based on a lot of compartmentalization and not knowing myself very well. So we had some really, you know, tough, long conversations about identity and, and marriage and sort of our relationship and ultimately decided to open up so that we could both kind of experience other identities, other, yeah, other people. Yeah, makes sense. And so that was that was kind of a big shift. Yeah, but that must have been. I would imagine that was a lot of conversation, a bit of a process to like untangle and figure out. Okay, this is maybe what's good for us. Yeah, you know, because again, that's it's that's really young to be making decisions about your life. 
Well, and it came very close after deciding to leave the Mormon church. I think at that point we were sort of phoning it in, so to speak. Um, <laughs> I'm a piano player. You're phoning it in for Mormonism. <laughs> I really was. You know, I was the non-gay guy playing the organ every week in my, you know, fabulous shirts. <laughs> That's really, it was really confusing to a lot of people. Well, not me. That's so okay. That was amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> my and I remember, like, my wife had been asking, "Do you like believe in the church?" And I couldn't answer because I was so afraid. Because in this kind of orthodox framework, like, if you say no, then like you could lose your marriage, you could lose your kids. Mm-hmm. So I was never quite sure. And then I remember one night she said, "Do you actually believe in God?" And I was like, "Eh, no." And then she responded back, oh, I don't either. So like one month later, we went to the church people and said, you know, we're leaving. And and I remember him asking, well, do you believe in God? And I was like, no. He's like, okay. So we like signed the letter. We actually are officially out. That's incredible. So you really had, you had to sign a document? Yeah. Yeah. We had, we, we removed our names from the records of the morning I like how they were like, if. What you say? Believe in God. They were like, let them go. <laughs> let them go. <laughs> well, they did send a letter. Are you sure? Are you sure? And then they sent a pamphlet. You Are know? you serious? You're, you're losing, like, you know, you're not going to go this. to heaven and all, all of this. this. Yes. yes. So you you're should. going to hell in a handbasket now. So is and that I was okay like, with you? Sounds good. <laughs> sounds great. So that was a tough, I mean, it was actually quite easy because, but it was tough to get to that space where we could both admit that to each other. So when we did finally have a conversation about, you know, sexuality and those kinds of things, even though that was very difficult, it was in some ways less difficult than having a conversation about church and God. Really? It felt, because I was really, I wasn't surprised, but when Katie was like, yeah, okay, sure, me neither, like, I realized that, you know, we both were together because we right. share a lot of the same values. Right. And, and right. so... And, and you weren't having those conversations along the way? Not really. That's so interesting. You're not really allowed to because the minute you start to disbelieve or show a lack of faith, you're sort of taught that that's sort of the beginning of the end. And so you have to be, at least in my experience, I felt like I had to be fairly sure before I said anything. Right. So all of those kind of building blocks sort of crumbled very fast. And, you know, mind you, we had two kids that were sort of I want to say eight and about 12 years old at this point. Wow. So, you know, they, yeah. we were taking them out of the church as well. Yeah. And then, you know, it took a few years before I started to even think about my gender or my sexuality. That came about a couple years later. Mm-hmm. And around the same time at this point, my daughter's like 14, 15, 16 and starting to go through her own sort of gender identity crisis, right. a lot of body dysmorphia and just kind of, you know, thinking about her and, you know, we sort of joke about this now, but she always sort of pushed back and said, you know, you guys were way too understanding. I really needed you guys to push back on me. <laughs> really? But I think it was because it, for me anyway, I was going through it myself right. and I would watch her, you know, struggling with these things and then, you know, decide, well, if I'm helping her go through this process, I should help myself of go course. through this process as well, if that's really what it's supposed to be. And and what is it like, though, you know, helping a child go through it when you're yourself navigating it? Well, it was really difficult because, first of all, I didn't want to take away her thunder. I mean, in some ways, what I've seen is that, you know, it's, it's both understanding her own body and gender and, and all of that. But it's also, you know, being a teenager and kind of pushing against and kind of testing limits out. Yes. And when, you know, dad's like, well, I might be like 
not male as well. <laughs> it's kind of like, no, dad, we're talking about me. <laughs> Don't steal my thunder. <laughs> and yet I think we also share, like I was able to be quite empathetic with how she was feeling. I have to be honest, like it was a bit of a shock when I started to even have these like thoughts in my head that this was, you know, and the first one was really around sexuality. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I realized is that if I wasn't so focused on what I thought I should do, that my sort of sexual identity could be more expansive. Yes. So when we did open up, it was an opportunity to have, you know, relationships with men and things like that and found that, you know, where I identify today as pansexual, although I typically am more romantically inclined towards females, but just being able to open that possibility up and just being, you know, aware that, all of this is possible and both physically and emotionally and, and, yeah. and mentally. And then, you know, I think the bigger change was I was reading a book one day about transgender, mostly because my child had given it to me yeah. and said that you should read this dad. And I was reading it. I was like, oh my God, I, I identify with a lot of these really? essays. Like um, you handed that from your child. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. And, and it wasn't so much like, oh my God, I'm non-binary. Yeah. I finally figured it out. It was more along the lines, like I've never ever lived in a male world comfortably. Right. I hate being in male specific spaces. Right. I can't talk about sports. Like right. my wife literally had to feed me information so that I could <laughs> like, deal with that in a social situation i'd be like who won the fo- football thing so that when they ask like, send me the cliff notes i need the cliff notes oh the eagles so- won great okay cool so that felt like a huge release because it was like i don't have to be male i don't i don't subscribe to any of that and i also don't feel female but i also have a lot of what i would say at least on the outside people will assume i have a lot of feminine qualities and right. traits right this is incredible. Thank you for sharing that. It's yeah. amazing. Uh-huh. I love it. Okay, so we're going to go to break, but before we go to break, I have a question for you. Do you think that your fashion, your style, and your way of dressing um, supports your identity, the identity that you're in right now? Absolutely. Okay. Um, but it's not simple. Okay. Okay, well, hold that thought. We're going to go to break, and we are going to get into that. This week, I want to give a shout out to an awesome non-binary and queer-owned clothing company called Playout Apparel. They are a gender-equal social good enterprise that donates 20% of their profits to LGBTQ plus and BLM organizations. Check out playoutapparel.com and find ethically made, super comfortable underwear and loungewear in a variety of sizes. On Instagram, you can follow them at playoutnyc. Okay, so Joshua, before the break, you said that you did feel like the way you dress, your style, does support your identity today. Tell me more about that. Yeah, wow. (laughs) So much much to think about. I'm sure, yeah. Well, I mentioned, you know, before I even started having these conversations about gender and sexuality that I always used fashion as a way to express myself. And so I mentioned church, like I was very, very proud of the fact that I could put, you know, a great striped shirt together with a crazy tie that, you know, and I would, I would literally get comments every week. I was known as the guy who always came to church, you know, fabulously. (laughs) And, you know, there's this thing in Mormonism where you go to church every week. And so it kind of became an outlet for me to go buy you know, clothes that were a little more dressed up than I would normally wear during the week. Right. 
And people sort of knew me for that. And, you know, I was always very proud of that. I think in a way, looking back on it now, it was sort of an armor. It was a way to make people know that I was not your average Mormon. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to talk about sports because my shirt was pink probably and my, my socks matched. <laughs> and so in a way it kind of created this buffer mm-hmm. so that people kind of knew that I was separate from them. But that also was problematic because it, I was literally, I was proud of it, but it was also a buffer. So I was kind of limiting myself and in my interactions with people. Yeah. So, you know, when I left the church, nobody was surprised. No, I'm <laughs> oh, yeah. sure they were. They were like, oh, yeah, he's good. He's, he took his fabulous shirts and he took, he, he took a walk, a long walk. Well, and I also, I didn't mention this earlier, but I tend to intellectualize everything as a professor. I love reading. You know, when I decided to leave the church, I probably listened to 100 hours of podcasts, read probably 30 or 40 books and, you know, really deep dived. Same thing happened when I decided to open you know, up my relationship. I had by that point read at least three or four books and every article possible. I never, you know, jump into anything. I think when I started to think about being pansexual or bisexual, however you want to call it, it wasn't so much a change in my fashion as a change in coding. So I Mm -hmm. found that I can be in a a gay queer space Mm -hmm. very easily. And I can also be in a straight space. This goes back to my compartmentalization. I realized how good I am at going back and forth between these two spaces. And I think, you know, the first thing was, is like, I can be in a gay space and everyone just assumes I'm gay. This is kind of cool because I'd never let myself do that before. And so I wouldn't say that my fashion changed so much then. I think if anything, I got a little fearful about fashion and kind of pulled back because I didn't want to sort of come out and just say I'm gay because I'm not. I'm definitely pan. And so if anything, I got a little more conservative. And at this point, I'm working in fashion. So I have access to all the things. And, and I mean, I have nice clothes and care about you know the different pieces that I have. But I was being fairly conservative. And I also was working at the time at a very conservative school. So I couldn't really express myself too much. And in fact, one of the companies I worked at before was a very preppy brand. So, you know, other than, you know, pink stripes and, and things like that, there was not a lot of room. I think it all shifted for me when I started to think about gender. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, you know, if I could envision myself how I wanted to dress, it's not what I'm doing now. I want a lot more fluidity in what I'm doing. And I want to play with shape differently. And I want to look at silhouette in a different way. And I literally went out and just bought lots of clothes. Yeah. is that Was that in an effort to find yourself, to find what worked? Yeah. And also just to kind of express myself in a more you know, expansive way that, and it was funny. I didn't want to like look more gay, so to speak. And I didn't want to look more straight. I just didn't care. I just wanted to kind of find my style. And so I did, I went and bought, you know, different kind of silhouettes that I'd never tried. I, I allowed myself to walk into the women's department and try on things that, you know, that I thought would look good on me. And it was very freeing because all of a sudden I was kind of thinking about me and how I wanted to be perceived rather than using clothes as a way to control how people perceived me. Interesting. So interesting. Mm. (laughs) Okay. So I am going to take a little bit of a detour. I I love what you're saying right now, but I I have, there's something on my mind that I have to kind of ask you about in your identity. Now that, you know, can adopt the, you know, non-binary identity. Do you feel like in a queer space, sometimes there's some invisibility there because of the fact that you can 
go between these worlds, these two worlds of sometimes being perceived as straight and sometimes perceived as what people think is gay. Do you feel like sometimes in queer spaces that gets misread? They're like, I don't know, like what to do, like with this guy. What's he doing in a queer space? Does it's, that happen? It's a big question. So, and where I am at now, I think this sort of gets to that. In finding myself and sort of being more okay with my own personal identity, I found that I actually became more invisible. That is crazy. Right. Because I was sort of opening myself up to being in that sort of non-binary space, but on top of that being pansexual, like... I'm totally fine being married to a woman and having children. I didn't come out of the closet and say, oh my God, like I have to change my life. Right. So, you know, when I walk into a, a queer space with a wife and then I look more male, when I walk into a queer space without her, everyone just assumes I'm queer. When I walk into a straight space with my wife, they assume I'm straight. If I walk into a straight space without my wife, I'm gay. Wow. So how how do you navigate that? Because you're queer everywhere. A lot of therapy. Honest, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, part of it is just like not caring, but but it, it's not so simple because, you know, I didn't come out and all of a sudden have a community. It wasn't like there wasn't a community waiting to kind of open their door or catch mm -hmm. me. I had mm -hmm. to. Mm -hmm. I had to sort of navigate that in a very different way. Luckily, you know, my wife also supports it and everything and understands it. There's no sort of questions there. But again, even between she and I, it becomes uncomfortable walking into certain spaces together. Mm -hmm. um, and I even sometimes have to catch myself, you know, when I'm talking to people because I don't want everyone I talk to, I don't want to have to explain my gender identity and my sexuality and exhausting. family life too. Exhausting. You know? Yeah. So if I'm in a gay space and somebody just assumes I'm gay then it, why go into a whole historical narrative on my yeah. life as being a married man? Yeah. So it's hard. I mean, I, I don't really have an answer. And I think, you know, I'm sort of introverted a bit to, to begin with. So it's not like I, I feel like I'm being left out of all the parties and such. But but it, I do have to think about the story I'm going to bring when I go to a, an event. Wow, that's a lot of work. It is. It's a shame. That, uh, it just seems like a lot of work that no one should have to do, to be honest with you. All right, so I, I want to move on to um, ask you a couple of questions that we ask a lot of our guests. So where are you now in terms of your identity and style? Do you feel like you've rested on a place, or is it still in, in motion, in flux, basically? Where are you now? I think it's constantly evolving. I'm very interested in fashion in general, and I'm very tapped into sort of the trends, and, and I mean, I'm not only do I teach, but I also consult. So I have to be aware of what's happening. And so in that regard, I'm always, I think, at least sort of on top of what's happening and, and have and able to adapt sort of my own style within, you know, the bigger fashion context. Mm -hmm. That said, I think it's evolving and also related to the last question, it depends on the space I'm in. So mm. I can walk into a room in a pretty wow. traditional suit and feel pretty comfortable. I can also walk in wearing, you know, makeup and nail yeah. polish and, yeah. and walk into that space. Not quite as comfortably, but mm -hmm. I, I can do that and I feel pretty comfortable with that. Most of the time I look, I think most of my clothes are fairly androgynous looking. And so if anything, I'm just sort of in the middle somewhere. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. 
I think at this point I'm really comfortable with that space. Whereas before I always felt like I had to pick Mm -hmm. and I'm also a lot less worried about what people think about me as a Mormon. You always were told that you were like the example to the world. So I was hyper conscious of how people look at me. Right. And I'm also hyper-conscious how I look at people. So I'm right. very aware of what people are wearing around me. And I've realized that most people don't do that or care and probably aren't noticing me. It's just my sort of narrative going on in my head. So if anything, I think if things are evolving, it's just allowing myself to try things out and kind of be in a space where I don't care so much about what people think. Yeah, I hear you. That's really interesting. I can't help but make the parallel between some of the conversations I've had with women who identify as femme and find themselves needing to sort of really queer up their outfits when they're in a queer space so that they're not questioned. Having to make sure you dress a certain way, maybe put the nail polish on because now I'm in this space and now I want to read as queer. Right. And so it's so intense. Well, and it gets more intense because... I am in an open relationship, and so there is the opportunity to potentially have other relationships. The fact of the matter is, is it's very difficult to do that because if I'm in a queer space, then the assumption is that I'm not married to a woman. Mm -hmm. And so if I want to open myself up to a potential relationship, I'm like, I'm going to have to explain a lot of things. So it goes back into this coding, right? Like where if I am going to a queer event and like hanging out with somebody, the assumption is that I'm just a gay male. Mm Mm-hmm. And there is some, you know, fun to that because I can walk into a space, you know, you and I joke a lot that, you know, I'm, I'm right at home with the lesbians. <laughs> you really are. <laughs> like, that's my safe space. You really are. <laughs> it's just, you're just like one of us. But I think it's part like of it. it is because I don't, I clearly don't look like the typical male guy. And so there's sort of a trust. And then also like, I'm, I'm not an issue because clearly I'm in a lesbian space where no one's really interested in what I'm bringing to the uh, relationship table. Yeah. yeah. So in a way we're kind of, it's desexualized and there's something pretty amazing and safe about that. But then also on the flip side of that, it's like, you know, I can walk into these spaces and see very androgynous female male, whatever they are and Mm -hmm. and be very attracted. But like, how do I engage in that? Yeah, I completely understand. (laughs) Yeah. It's a lot of questions and a lot of I'm navigating that I think, most people don't think about and not aware of also making the point that we think that being in a queer space is safe. Certain queer spaces are safe for certain people. Not every queer space is safe. It's not. Well, and so I do a lot of study sort of in semiotics, which is the, the study of symbols and fashion of course is symbolic. So when we're talking about gender, for example, there's a lot of assumptions that go into how a person dresses externally in terms of who they are internally. So for example, you know, even wearing a, a suit with a red tie sort of suggests a power play in a male-dominated space. But the interesting thing about that is is that clothes themselves are not gendered. Right. You know, we give clothes right. Right. we do it all the time. gendered yeah. symbology. We do it all the time. Do. And so I'm hyper aware of that too. I'm almost too intellectual about it because, you know, I'll think to myself, I'm going to wear this pink because it's, you know, against sort of the male. But then what does pink really mean? Right. It doesn't. It doesn't right. have any meaning. Exactly. Right. It doesn't have a gender. Yeah. So, I, you know, I walk into queer spaces sometimes and it's uncomfortable to me because I broke out of a very orthodox, and I'll use the word kind of cultish thing where. Yes. 
I have to admit, I loved being a Mormon for the identity because even if I didn't agree with it, it was like I had my people. Right. I had my community right. and there right. was sort of this expectation that we were all on the same page, even if in our private lives we weren't. Mm-hmm. And there is some of that that goes on I see in the queer space as you'll walk into an event and you'll have the femmes, you'll have the the butch or, you know, or the, the tomboys or whatever. And they all kind of have their own look and feel. Mm-hmm. And part of me goes, yay, this is so cool. And then part of me goes like, wow, we're all just like using like the gendered heteronormative norms in order to like provoke. Yeah. But it's so much more deep than that because even though I can look at it sort of from an intellectual point of view and sort of separate myself from that, the reality is, is we do live in a society mm-hmm. where these things have a lot of complex meanings and layers. And mm-hmm. so it's not just simple to say pants are for men and dresses are for girls and pink is for girls and blue. It's not that simple. Right. I'm constantly kind of parsing that out and trying to figure out what that means from an intellectual point of view, because there is a lot of power in being able to, to present yourself in a certain way. Yeah. It, it tells people who you are before you speak. Exactly. But then that's yeah. also the danger. Yes. Yes. It's some of both without a doubt. I want to like wrap up with one of the questions I love asking folks about navigating identity, navigating style and for many people, it's always transitioning, if you will. It's always evolving. And what have you learned in your life about your identity and about your style that you would share with your younger self that might also help someone else who's in the process of navigating those things? So first I would say just because you might like certain clothes or you might like certain things like the theater doesn't make you gay or straight right so i think you mean queer doesn't make you queer what (laughs) right okay this is breaking news i know breaking news breaking news you can be a straight fashion designer and a straight actor (laughs) oh imagine that amazing (laughs) and i think that that sort of black and white binary thinking was was really it gave me a lot of power as a kid because i could kind of play with that and provoke but be safe right i think if i was to go back to my you know younger self i would have said dig a little deeper Right. Like this, it's not that you love fashion because you're gay. It's because maybe there's a little bit more fluidity in, in fashion in general or gender in general. Great advice. Right. Great advice. It wasn't that I had a drive to like find out if I was gay or straight. I was actually very comfortable in sort of my sexuality as a teenager, but I don't know. I think people just are so afraid of trying things because there's like this morality connected to it or there's this societal expectation. So for example, just because you, you know, kiss a guy doesn't make you gay all of a sudden, right? And maybe you like it, maybe you won't, but why moralize it if it happens, it happens. And I think probably if I had given myself that room as a kid, I don't know if it would have changed a whole lot in terms of my timing, but it would have probably allowed me to be less compartmentalized. Mm and a lot more comfortable in the reality that I was pretty fluid Mm -hmm. all the time. That's a fantastic (laughs) advice. I I love your advice. I think that is advice that some of our listeners can take in and put into practice for themselves. Wonderful advice. Well, I have this sort of theory. I don't think it's a theory. I think it's just truth. (laughs) What is it? I think everyone's queer. I think yes, we've talked about you know this I do. <laughs> you do think that I, that's kind of why I love the word because it means everything and nothing all at the same time. <laughs> if if any term works for me, it's queer because it can kind of constantly be evolved. It doesn't exactly. necessarily tell you out yeah. of the gate if I'm pan or yeah. non-binary. Yeah. It just sort of tells you I'm different. Exactly. 
think we're all different. Yeah. I think that at the nexus of gender, sexuality, romantic attractions, we're probably a lot more complex than we allow ourselves to be. 100%. I could not agree more. (laughs) I have enjoyed this. Uh, thank a you. Lot. This, you have shared a lot of wonderful nuggets. <laughs> I really want to thank you. We have been talking about doing this forever, and I'm so sorry we haven't done it sooner because it's it's been an incredible conversation. Well, thanks for having really, me. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. So tell the listeners where they can find you. I mean, I feel like you're doing so many amazing projects. You do so much, and I want them to know where they can follow you on Instagram or you know on Facebook or wherever you are, and you know just kind of tap into what you're doing. So probably the easiest way is on Instagram at Fashion Consort, C-O-N-S-O-R-T. You can also catch me at uh, fashionconsort.com. And my personal website is Joshua T. Williams. And it gives you information about what I do as a professor and, and a little bit of the queer activism that I do, uh, you know, <laughs> on the side. Yeah, yeah. He's on the front lines doing some great things. So it has been a pleasure Joshua having you on and I want to thank you guys for listening today and please make sure you tune into the next episode we're going to have more amazing guests and you know we're doing it we're here we're, we're having a wonderful time thanks a lot Josh thank you thanks for tuning in to this episode of transition of style if you like what you hear please remember to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts Visit us on our show page at transitionofstyle.com for more information and follow us to share in the conversation on Instagram at transitionofstyle. 